Hi, fantasy! Today, we're talking about Amphibia. Stay tuned. Good morrow, and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about writing and storytelling and animation and frogs and whatnot. And I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we are going into another world. We're going into fantasy. The fantasy world. And and what what fantasy means. And I'm going to stop using that voice right now. <laughs> right now. Stop using the voice. Don't do the voice. So it's gone. I'm finished with it. Welcome, everybody. This is Chris's life. He just replaces one voice with another voice. I know. It's it's like, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know what it's like. Today we're talking about fantasy worlds in animation and using a brand new fantasy world um, that was created in Amphibia on Disney Channel. Woo, I'm, I'm applauding. Frogs and toads. And toads. I haven't gotten to toads yet. Oh, okay. I jumped around, so. Like okay. a frog would. Hey! Just kidding. You should watch the show in order, because it's one of those shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to leap um, into something wrong. I don't know. Let, well, let's talk a little bit about it. So today, I think we're going to start with what fantasy means in general terms, I suppose. General so just, terms? Hello, general terms. Welcome. Addy, soldier. Um, so <laughs> general way, fantasy worlds and creating fantasy worlds and, and what you get and the different kinds of fantasy worlds there are. And then taking that knowledge and applying it specifically to amphibia and dissecting, because that's what you, we oh, usually no. do, um, dissecting this, uh, this world and seeing how it works and what makes it tick and uh, things like that. And we're using it as an example because there's been a lot of animated, episodic fantasy shows lately. Um, not that that's a bad thing. It's just an interesting trend that's happening right now. So we're using amphibia as our, um, is our word, for example. There's like a French word for this or something. Case in point about French. Uh, yes, I know what you mean. I don't, I can't think of it. Okay, whatever that is, amphibia is that. <laughs> for us in this conversation. Perfect. So um, I want to start on a personal level. And then we can move on to fantasy world types and genres and tropes and fun stuff like that. Um, Mackenzie, would you consider yourself a fan of fantasy? A fantasy? Um, <laughs> a fantasy addict? I think that I would. Um, I'm not as into it as I used to be. I definitely uh, grew up reading a lot of... It, it's like I skipped all the typical childhood stuff and moved straight to like middle school, early high school type things. Uh, so I went from like being born to like reading YA um, and then stuck <laughs> with that. So started early and left it late. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I still have the last uh, Brian Jake's Redwall book sitting on my shelf because I'm determined to finish that series. It's over. 
they don't really have anything to do with each other anymore. They're all standalone stories. But like I started reading it back then, so I want to finish it. Mm. Um, so I have a lot of things that I read and uh, definitely saw a lot of like sci-fi and fantasy stuff as a kid. Now I don't necessarily seek out everything fantasy or do something just because it is fantasy. But if it looks like an interesting story and it's set in a fantasy world, I'm still about it. It doesn't turn me off. Hmm. I personally have always enjoyed fantasy worlds. I've always enjoyed um, swords and um, things like that. So if, if a character has a sword, whether it's made of laser or made of metal, I think I'm just there for it. So whether they're in stones, whether they're in, you know, sheaths, um, any kind of sword, I'm, I'm there for it. So Zoro's of the world, all that stuff, um, even though Zoro is not fantasy. Um, but for me, if it's got a sword, then I'm, I'm pretty much there for it. I did in high school, I think I wrote some really bad, I wrote a really terrible trilogy um, yes. screenplays that um, was the modern world, but but with swords. So they were um, knights of the round table, but they had like three-piece suits and trench coats with their swords. So Romeo plus Juliet, got it. Kind of, but no guns, like actual swords. Um, there was there were also dragons around, uh, which was pretty cool. And they they delivered the news and stuff. They were the scouts. Like, Sir, Sounds a lot blah, like... Blah, blah, blah. Is this just the plot of Pixar's Onward coming 2020? It's almost or 2019. Is it this year? Uh, it's 2020. Okay. So that, there's another example of some reinventing of fantasy world, <laughs> fantasy trope. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me personally, I'm I'm not uh, a really big fan, but I do enjoy it, and I I think I enjoy the the magic and mystery. Um, yeah. Yeah. All that fun It's definitely stuff. gained a lot of popularity. It feels like the uh, Lord of the Rings movies really like solidified it as a mainstream thing. And then that slowly started to go away. Then Game of Thrones brought that back. Yeah, I, I would say that's true. And then because I, even in live action, it was struggling a little bit with Thor, you know, the first Thor and the second Thor, and they didn't know what to do with Thor. And now everyone's like, oh, my gosh, the fourth Thor. Let's, we're here for it. You know, It's actually a sci-fi movie, not fantasy at all. Let's put Thor in space. Great. Wait, what's happening? Who, who even cares? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just really interesting how, they, how they're, they're playing with things. So I'm, I'm glad that it's back, and I'm glad that, there's talk of a um, Sword in the Stone Disney live action remake happening at some point. That's beloved. I could see that. I forget who said it on Twitter, but someone had like the the sign of the apocalypse would be the Black Cauldron live action Disney remake. I I would be here for that though. Like I think if, it would be good. They have learned all the lessons. It should be a Disney Plus series. Yes. A, a Disney Plus series that follows the actual books <laughs> instead of picking and choosing from two different novels and throwing together things that don't make sense. 
I follow the books. Mm-hmm. You know, to to a certain extent. Yeah. But so let's let's look at the fantasy world. So what do we usually think of when we say when you hear the word fantasy? What kinds of worlds do we think of? What kinds of things do we expect to see? I guess for me, trying to speak in like the most general terms that aren't just like Western focused for fantasy, but it's mm. you think of a world that is not just lacking technology, but is in a technological past. You think about um, fighting or armies of some kind. Um animals or characters that couldn't possibly exist in the real world and creature based yeah and probably creatures magic of some kind usually whatever that may be something that is inexplicable in reality whether they explit it or not (laughs) in the story (laughs) Okay. Do you I, think of anything different? No, I think that about covers it into, you know, varying degrees. And when I was doing some research into just fantasy in general, um, it's very, there's been people trying to do lots of classifications. So something like if you throw Star Wars out there, Everyone's like, well, science fiction, but it's not sci-fi. It's more in the fantasy genre because of the way that it deals with things. It just has technology. So it's well using things a different way. As it says, uh, through a place card at the beginning of the movie, a long time ago. <laughs> which, is a, which is a great indicator for this is a fantasy. It mm-hmm. may as well say once upon a time. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time in a faraway kingdom. It it does say far away. I I know. <laughs> I know what it says. I'm 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 well aware of, of how Star Wars films open. Yeah. I think people tend to think of like the settings of fantasy or sci-fi as the differentiator, but they really bleed together a lot. And I, I think some of the most interesting stories we've had in the last 50, 60 years have been weird parts where tropes bump up against each other. But for me, from a storytelling perspective, fantasy ultimately comes down to trying to tell a story about characters in a world where the rules are different. Mm. And sci-fi is about trying to tell a story in a world where the rules are a heightened future logical end to rules we have today. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't have explained it like that, but I like that. I don't think that that is a rule for defining sci-fi and fantasy because people approach it in telling the stories in very different ways. But for me, when I think about it, that's what I would use to differentiate them. Mm-hmm. And I think they both use very similar tools in terms of archetype and theme and putting... Um, arguments into characters as opposed to, you know, on their own. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're really, really linked in a lot of ways. It just depends on how we start to use them. 
So in my research, which was very, very small <laughs> and minimal, but just, just trying to figure out, give us some language to talk about as we, as we look at fantasy and fantasy worlds, there are three categories that are really out there. There's high fantasy, low fantasy, and heroic fantasy. And while they all operate in this different world that is, as you were saying, devoid of technology usually and happening from an earlier time, usually a different, you know, sometimes a different world altogether, knights and magic and all that stuff. Usually what differentiates them is the struggle and the fight that's happening. So usually with high fantasy, it's a, the biggest struggle. It's good and evil, you know, absolute good, absolute evil. And like the, the characters are just part of this epic um, battle between good and evil. So this is going to be things like Lord of the Rings is obviously that these characters find themselves in this absolute good versus absolute evil battle. And that's what's happening. In some ways, Star Wars episodes four, five, and six, you know, align themselves a little bit more in that realm. I know you want to argue with me and I will, I love to hear it. I mean, my argument is more, I would say the entire Skywalker saga, at least is high fantasy. Hmm. But part of the moral of it is that pure good and pure evil don't always present themselves as pure good and pure evil. But that makes sense. Um, so then we take it down a notch from high fantasy and move to low fantasy, which is... I thought going to medium fantasy. <laughs> no, medium. Yeah, there's a, a low-grade low grade <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> um, where it's, it's the struggle of the characters, where the characters have their own personal goals and sometimes they're not making the they don't their goals are not good and they're not pure characters and so this is where we get into the game of thrones and things like that mm -hmm. it's not about the world and the purity of it it's about the characters and how they behave in it with whatever those rules are right and then heroic oh go ahead i was just trying to think if there was a good Animation example of low fantasy. Oh, we talked about disenchantment before this. That's a low fantasy. Yeah. Um, what, what was a, the animated version of high fantasy that we were discussing? I know there's an animated version of Lord of the Rings, and that's cheating slightly. But um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, animated high fantasy, I think it's hard to do. We talked a little a bit about show. Steven Universe a little bit with. Yeah, Steven Universe's uh, high fantasy with um, complications that make it seem not like high fantasy. Um, notably that it seems like sci-fi at a certain glance and that it seems like <laughs> personal struggles at a certain glance. But the moral is that the personal struggles are what is good and that's against evil, which is um, devaluing the personal struggles of others. <laughs> so it's a low fantasy... It's, it's high fantasy realizing that low fantasy is actually what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. 
Um, but generally, I think it's hard to do as a TV show. Otherwise, it just says a whole bunch of movies that are about high fantasy that are animated. Black Cauldron. True. Um, most Disney movies to a certain degree. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Things things like that. Um, what is another one? Uh, Even just going more modern, like Tangled, I think. To a certain degree, you're right. It it does it lingers more in the high fantasy realm. Even no, there I was like, even though there's no magic, no, her hair is magic, Chris. Her <laughs> hair is magic. Her mom's a witch. Her hair is magic. It's the hair that's magic. It's always magic. So yeah, it's her, it's her hair. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. And then, so high fantasy, low fantasy, and then we have heroic fantasy, which is typically, basically it's high fantasy, but it's dealing with the the battle of a hero. So the heroes are generally the people who are, um, who are, they're more good than evil. So I think, this gets into the the trope of these these are the basic hero's journey things mm-hmm. where it looks just like high fantasy and maybe there's a good and evil thing but you're really following one hero and and what they're doing so i would think in some ways it's a little bit star versus the forces of evil might fall into heroic fantasy yeah, it doesn't linger much on like how the world works because it just kind of the story is different each episode based on what the needs of the character struggle are. And it's not that she's generally struggling with having bad personal goals or her goals are the things that causes, you know, ill and things. It's she's trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of animes like this as well. Um, Moana. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of more modern Disney fantasy movies. Moana Frozen would mm-hmm. would fall into this. Um, one could make an argument that DuckTales falls into <laughs> into this a little bit. I could see that, yeah. So possibly low fantasy, but it tries to it they get to have their cake and eat it too because um, they get to be in the modern world but they're also ducks. So it's a completely fabricated world. It's a completely fantasy world. So they get to have both. <laughs> they can have magic and everything and soon talking chipmunks and other stuff. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> but those, those are the realms of fantasy that things tend to be put into. Those are the categories that that fantasy tends to be defined by not saying that you have to choose one, but it, things tend to fall into one of those. Mm-hmm. Now, f- because amphibia was our homework, do you feel like amphibia falls better into one of these three types of fantasy than other ones? Well, it feels from the beginning, it doesn't feel um, I'm only about three episodes in, or you know, which are te- two ten-part episodes. So, what six episodes, <laughs> six stories in? Yeah. 
Um, and for me, it doesn't feel like high fantasy because it doesn't feel like there's an epic struggle going on between good and evil. That doesn't feel like that's present. It, it, plays, it feels like it wants to be low fantasy because the characters have personal goals, but it's also playing with someone who is possibly destined to end up being a hero. So we're focusing a lot on a pair of characters, although we, from early on in the series where, where I am, and I know you've skipped around a little bit, where we'll see if their journey turns into something bigger. I agree. I think that it is heroic fantasy from what I've seen so far. And I've only seen stuff in the first half, even though I have jumped around. Um, it feels like it's a lot, as I think a show has to be about. It's a, it starts as about the flaws of some of the main characters and how they grow. Um, therefore, heroic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's basic storytelling, right? You know, Ta-da! you have a flaw. You grow out of that flaw. Maybe you make some new flaws, but... It's not Commedia dell'arte. It's story. You're not trapped in a trope. You're not trapped in a character type. You can move and shift, and one person's move and shift could cause someone else's move and shift, which could cause the world's balance. It's all balance. It's all balance. Finding balance. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Now... One trope that Amphibia, well, maybe before we get into that, do you want to say a little bit about what Amphibia is? And you're really good at the one sentence. Oh, what geez. what is this show uh, about? The pressure. Uh, well, it is the main character is Anne, and we begin a little bit in Medias Rest. You have to put this together. Um, but Anne is like a high school girl from the human world and she somehow wound up in this fantasy world where frogs are people and insects and birds are monsters uh, that are often much more giant than her. So it's like this swamp turned into fantasy land. Um, and she's stuck here and she's not sure why. And it's her story of meeting new friends, a family of frogs named Sprig and Hop Pop and Polly um, and learning about herself and her relationship with people in a new context outside of high school and growing as a human or a frog, primarily human. Right. Person, just, just a person. Mm -hmm. We're all, we're all just people learning things and growing and evolving. And I mean, when you break down a frog, you know, you start off as something completely different than what you eventually become, you know? And not having seen the rest of the show, I do hope they do something with that because one of the characters, Polly, is a tadpole. So I assume that at some point she will be a frog. Well, I, she's not quite a tadpole um, because she has legs. So I believe she's a polywog. Oh, okay. Which is where Polly comes from, I believe. That would make sense. Though I don't think her name changes when she becomes a... You don't go from like... Polly to something else. I think that ends up being her name, but yeah, she usually roams around in a bucket, but she could leave the bucket. So I think that's what makes her polywog. She doesn't have to be in the water with just a tail. This is frog <laughs> evolution. 
Um, so anyway, saying that a character can be completely transformed and different and growth all the way through. But somehow frogs have hair. That's interesting. It's fantasy. It's fantasy world. It's fantasy I know it world. is. I know it is. Uh, but yeah, then there's other... I've seen some stuff with the toads, which are different than the frogs, besides biology. Um, hmm. But the toads seem to be the rulers of this land, and the frogs are like the lowly peasants, from what I've gathered. Um, and as a side note, the stinger is that Anne was with some friends when she got sucked into this world, and at the end of the first episode, you see what happened to at least one other of the friends who's also trapped in this world somewhere else. Bum, bum, bum. I think it's a... It's really interesting that we end up with this you're you're a character trapped in another world or it's like a fish out of water trope where here's the, here's this one well frog out of water you have this person who is in a world that's completely different from the world that she knows and I mean this it's a very popular trope I mean usually you have that ordinary person, and I believe it's, I don't know how to pronounce it, but uh, isekai as a genre in Japanese light novels, where it's an ordinary person who gets transported um, alongside their friends, um, sometimes their enemies, um, transported along to this different world where now they have this important role to play in something that's happening in that new world. Something is going on, there's some struggle happening and now they're going to play this important part in this world. And I think this is in maybe the hero's journey somewhere. But I think the interesting thing that happens with this is in a lot of like Japanese texts, for example, these characters often choose to stay in that world at the end. In a lot of like European and American texts, they choose to go back to their home world at the end. I don't know if that's still true today. I haven't done like a recent survey in the last 20 years, but... Um, that is a thing that has been pointed out by people. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if you are so changed by the world that you're a part of, do you stay in that world or do you leave to take what you have learned from that experience and apply it to your world? And usually there ends up being some kind of love story and then you have to decide, do you stay with that person or does that person leave their world and go with you. Mm -hmm. So, and I think more shows, new shows do a, a good nuanced way of attacking this. Um, Troll Hunters and Three Below both, without spoiling much, have endings that are kind of split where some characters stay and some characters go. Um, I know you wrote down as one of the examples of Gargoyles, which I appreciate. Unprompted from me, you on your own <laughs> have referenced Gargoyles. Um, I do what I can. And that's an interesting twist on this trope because in that, the other world they go into is our world. Well, the 90s, but our world. <laughs> um, and so, like, in that kind know. of thing, I think you assume that they're going to stay because, of course, our world is better. I suppose. I was just going to say, like, judging by the movies that are playing right now, aren't we still in the 90s? I know. Or the but, 80s. It doesn't matter. The, it's all the same. It doesn't matter. It, it just keeps cycling. So other other things that go along in this format of 
hey, I'm not supposed to be in this world. I'm trapped in this different world. You have Alice in Wonderland, one of the originals. Um, you get Spirited Away. Um, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Hey, we're plumbers. We're in this kingdom of mushrooms. I think in the current canon, they never left their world. But in the old canon, yes, the Mario Brothers, Mario Mario and Luigi Mario, because those are their full names, <laughs> are from New York City and went down the wrong pipe. Um, but in current canon of Mario, they are from the Mushroom Kingdom as well. But they're also plumbers. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that was the... Huh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you also get something um, like Futurama, which tends to be like this. So somebody from the past ends up in the future, which is also Gargoyles tends to be a little bit like that too. Um, and then Over the Garden Wall. You know, that two people from our world ending up in a fantasy world or a world that's totally different from the one that they knew before. Hmm. And generally when you look at the structure of these, and this is one thing that I appreciate about the first episode of Amphibia, usually the trope is, um, here's the main character in the normal world and they're walking around, they're living their life and, uh oh, something happens and they're transported to this different world and we see them be scared. We see them learn about things. We see their shock. We see their awe. And we are connected to that person. And that character's, the way they see and learn about this strange world is how we learn how this strange world works. So we are, they are our avatar in the story. And they're there for us to make this fantasy world um, palatable, palatable, and understandable. Um, and we see ourselves in that main character. And I think we still do that with Amphibia, but it definitely starts more in the fantasy world. Here's this crazy monster who's a human. <laughs> Which but is interesting. I, I, I appreciate that we start with the trope that we would normally see in a fantasy world if it was starring all humans. Yeah. Which is, there's a bar, there's a, there's a guy that's a kooky guy who ends up leaving and he gets attacked by a monster. Like, oh, okay, I know this trope, but it's put on its head because the monster that he sees is actually the human person. But we also learn about this world is that everything in this world is dangerous. Like, <laughs> yes. Like everything in this world is dangerous. Um, there are, in the first six episodes, there are about five to ten deaths of characters just being picked off by bugs or other things and nobody says a word about it. There's one character that's taken away, and then later on in the episode, this made my son Jack laugh, which was like, yep, I'm still up here. Somebody help me. <laughs> <laughs> like he's being carted away to his death. But, like, yeah, people, well, frog people die in this. There, there are lots of deaths, and 
It's dangerous. Off screen. Off screen. Yeah. Nothing happens on screen. Um, and there's lots of monsters and lots of tension. And um, there have been lots of moments where Jack, like, he'll be sitting down and then he'll stand up like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And then get really worried and then sit back down because something silly happens. And then, okay, it's solved. Like, <laughs> in the time that it took for him to get worried, stand up, stare at the screen, and then, oh, okay, I could sit back down. It's a very short amount of peril. Just a couple of minutes. Just just enough for, you know, an almost seven-year-old to uh, get nervous about what will happen to these characters. It's so interesting that kids often have that very visceral reaction of like, I have anxiety, therefore I must stand up. <laughs> like you could do something about the animated characters in the TV. Yeah. No! Ah! Um, there's an episode where I guess it's best Franz where they're trying to Sprig is trying to be the friend that Anne has lost. Mm. And so he takes her to the lake, this beach, because that's one thing that she um, loved. And I, I just love her, um, her towel beach, please. <laughs> it's made me laugh. Um, but they go to this beach and then they're, they don't know why um, there's a sign that says don't swim. They assume that it's just there because somebody wants the beach all to themselves. And no, there's a giant snake monster in the lake. And um, it's a very adrenaline heavy scene for a young kid. Um, but it also resolves itself in a really silly slapsticky way that puts things back in order. Yeah. I, one of the things I do appreciate about the parts of Amphibia that I've seen so far is, and let me backtrack a little bit. So Infinity Train, which I've been looking forward to for a long time, the first episode is now out. And they have like a spot on like fantasy summary in the middle of that show because it begins with the main character is really into coding and she solves problems with coding in her real world before she gets trapped in another world and she sees how scary and dangerous the other world is. And she sits down at one point like, oh, come on. What are the rules of this world? Everything has rules, even if they're crazy. <laughs> That's like the definition of like fantasy struggle right there. And then in Amphibia, a lot of the rules of the world are rules that would also be in the real world, like no swimming, that the characters blatantly ignore. But of course, there's a reason for that rule. So rather than like crazy fantasy stuff happening, it's like, here's a real world rule. We're going to break it. Maybe we should follow the rules. <laughs> and a lot of what they're dealing with is not just the differences between characters because they are fantasy, but the difference between the characters because they're different people. Um, one of the episodes that Jack really enjoyed, he because he's he can read now, which is a really interesting experience. So when there's text on the screen, uh, he just starts reading it, which is great. Like it used to be, you know, as a parent, I'm used to having to stop and read something to him so he understands the joke. But um, anyway, there's a, a moment where the uh, Anne is taken in by the Plantar family. Um, and she lives in their basement. And in one episode, the basement floods. So she's forced to 
either sleep in the living room or be roommates. I don't have you watched this one? I did watch this one. Okay, roommates with Sprig, her her new best friend, who's a little bit younger, a little bit less mature, a little bit high strung. Um, but they decide no, they're going to be best friends. They're going to be roommates together. And Hop Pop, who's voiced by Bill Farmer, who voices Goofy, which is just awesome. Um, so Hot Pops warns them that, you know, when you get people in your space and you're in their space, that causes problems. It's not because you're not friends, but when you put somebody else in your space, like it's going to be awful. And he warns them about this. And they have the same problems that any two people would have. Um, so you see night one as huge fun text, which Jack started reading out loud. Night one. Um, Cause it's an impact font or something. It's really big. Um, and you see them trying to get along, even though things aren't quite comfortable. So Anne is reading books and staying awake and trying to talk to, to Sprig and keeping him up and he doesn't want to be up. And then it's too hot for her, but it's too cold if she opens the window. So they're fighting over about the temperature, which you know, that's that's just two people being in the same space. That's mm-hmm. that's marriage. That's not <laughs> that's not frog people and real people. That's 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 just two humans existing in the same space. Like, why are you so hot? Why are you so cold? Just come on, regulate. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just interesting that that's where it goes. It goes to now just because it's a frog. Now you could do really gross things like you know, pull off like web stuff from their webbed feet and like crusties, crusties, yeah, like other stuff and like lick other things and fight over the window because she's opening it with her hand and he pulls it closed with his tongue and like you could do fun stuff like that, but that what's at the heart of it is two roommates who are trying to get along even though they're in each other's space and they are starting to realize the things that they don't like about having that other person in their space. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, the show ultimately is a lot about the rules of growing up rather than the rules of the fantasy world. And I, again, not having seen it seasons over because um, it begins Anne's journey begins by like, falling to peer pressure on a dare. I think it's going to be a lot about like her realizing who she is a character and like making her own decisions and being more responsible. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, respond, being responsible is where the whole show starts with Sprig growing up and, you know, be more responsible with, I think one of the funniest moments of that first episode. And it's like two minutes in where he's like, I'm responsible. He's, like, oh, yeah, and um, Hot Pop just recounts things that happened. Like, you know, this, you blew up breakfast, you did this other thing, and you just get these cutaway gags of these terrible, awful things happening. <laughs> yes. And, you th- and you're laughing at it, and then the kicker is, yeah, yesterday was a bad day. <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> it was all just one day. Like, you know, you're just thinking, oh, these are just bad moments. No, this was one full day of him being irresponsible. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. Uh, that that cracked me up. I, I even laughed the second time, even harder, because I had slightly forgotten about that joke. Um, 
but it's if that's what where we're headed is here is a character who's trying his best to be responsible and here's this other character who breaks the rules and is in a world because she broke the rules she's you know she stole something on a what looks like as you said as as a dare and now in quite literally is being replaced with a new friend who's trying to do the right thing. You see her hold up the picture of her best friends and take it down and see Sprig and then lift it back up and decide, okay, you know, I am going to make this change. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to have this person be my best friend. Yeah. So in that way, heroic. Heroic ish fantasy. Yeah. Is it nature or nurture? So if she had stayed friends with those other other young girls, would she be in a different place? And I'm curious now that we know that one of the other ones is around in this world, what will happen when they meet up again? And did they know what was going to happen because they asked her to steal something very specific? Well, I guess we, like our listeners, will have to watch the rest of the season to find out. <laughs> Which I'm I'm totally excited to do. Yeah. Um, Jack wanted to watch more. We watched three episodes and he's like, okay, uh, let me get a snack so I can watch. I'm like, no, we're done. <laughs> we're, not, we're not watching more. And he was ready to sit down and just keep keep plugging through. I think he, we could have watched the whole season if I let him. Maybe that's why they released it practically all at once. So Maybe. children could binge. Like he... He's really, for him, I don't think he sees the story. He just sees the small, I think he sees it on the microcosm, Mm. which is fine. You know, he doesn't see the bigger questions being asked. Like, oh gosh, what's going to happen with this? And will she grow up? Will she get back? And she already said, like, I don't know if I'm even able to get back. And Mm -hmm. um, Which is always the question when you're in this trope, like, how does the person get back? Do they have to earn their way back? Yeah. I I am interested to see. I'm interested in the overarching plot. I actually did skip around to see more of what happened at the Uber plot level. Because I was like looking for the next episode. Like show me the next episode with her friend. Uh, so <laughs> I found that. Uh, don't want to spoil it. But they do seem to be experiencing this new world in different ways. And being put a little bit on a collision course. Good. Even though they're both don't seem to be expecting it and are trying to make the most of a crazy situation. Mm. I forgot another, since you're talking about collision course of people, you know, best friends being a collision course. I totally forgot about She-Ra as, a, as an oh, example yeah. in there. She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. What kind of fantasy would you call that? I feel like that's high fantasy slash heroic fantasy. I think it might be the, heroic fantasy. I, I do think that the new show is heroic fantasy, but I think the old She-Ra and old He-Man are high fantasy. Yeah, because it's not really about the characters. It's about yeah. good versus evil. Here's a world! And in some ways, I think Voltron ends up being in this same trope of I think that ends up being, in a weird way, more high fantasy than heroic fantasy. 
because would yeah. you agree with that? I mean, Voltron's weird because I, I do see it as sci-fi as well. It's definitely fantasy. I mean, it has both magic and technology and it's about the marriage they, of the two. They try to have it both ways. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's both expressing things through a heroic fantasy way, but also that are an extrapolation of problems and ideas we have today in a sci-fi kind of way. Hmm. So just taking this on the expectations, you know, looking at Amphibia on our expectations of fantasy, what are the things that we feel like we can say that Anne will experience and have to uh, come to grips with? Well, she's going to grow as a character and realize that sometimes growing up means giving up some things and following rules or changing how she lives. Um, and because it is a TV show that is renewed for a second season, <laughs> um, I'm assuming that at the end of season one, either she still doesn't have a way back home or she finds a way back and chooses to stay, at least for now. Hmm. Because this... The question of the first season has to be about, can she get home? Would you agree with that? I think for many of these Trapped in Another World shows, that's the question of the show, not just any season. So I, I don't know. Hmm. It's Not having seen enough of the show, I don't know if that's a question of the season or not. It's at least a question in the show. If that makes hmm. sense. It does make sense. And I'm just wondering if... Her going back is a choice that she'll have to make, you know, because once once you head to a different world and it, it ends up being the Futurama question, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for for Fry, all the people he knew were are dead. He has no way to return to that life. He's fine. He can just live in this new world without a care. Here we have a, a 13 year old girl who presumably has parents, mm -hmm. though we haven't, I, I haven't seen them yet, but I have to assume that they're part of this world. Just like Marco and Star versus the Forces of Evil had parents. Like they're gonna wonder where their kid is. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as a parent, I'm like, uh, what's going on with their parents? Are they going to the police? Are they worried uh, their daughter's missing? Do they think she's dead? Like, Even that's if a, they choose to stay, we need emotional resolution. <laughs> like I need to understand that she's going to be safe in this world that she's chosen. And I know they've put this um, ticking um, time clock on there that it will clear up in two months that she'll be able to travel over the mountains. But we'll just have to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Lots we'll of questions him. to get answered. Though I don't think, and even though it is operating on the higher fantasy levels and things, I don't think that Anne will have to face the death of any of these friends. I don't think it's that kind of show. Probably Yet. not. It is a yeah. Disney show, so probably not. As opposed to a Disney movie where it'd be probably yes. <laughs> yes, she will. <laughs> Sprig's gonna die, <laughs> or hop pop at you know at the end of season two. We'll see. 
we'll see what happens. Yeah, I guess we will. Do we have anything else we want to share about Amphibia and fantasy from what we know so far? I just want to say one thing about the world. It's it's fun to see a really uh, colorful, not dark fantasy world right mm-hmm. now. I really mm-hmm. like that it is, it's gloomy, it's, it's swampy, but it's not, devoid of color and fun mm-hmm. like the colors are rich it's really fun the character design feel like in a weird way they feel like matt Groening characters because of the eyes and like the overbite the frog yeah. overbite they look very simpsons so, drama. yeah at least the frogs and doesn't so much but the frogs i feel like they're like and they're they're um edited by uh, rough draft so oh. Like, that would oh, make sense. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but I just like that it's a it's a f- more lighthearted world. That yes, people are dying, but it's silly. Like, silly ah, death. They just get t- carried away. So I just like that you can laugh at the things that are dangerous there. And I'm sure that they're setting that up for stuff later on, where it stops being so funny. We'll see. Modern animation fantasy trope. Eventually, <laughs> things stop being fun. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. Like Steven Universe. Like, oh, he has silly cat fingers. And now, like, people are in terrible turmoil and the battle for the whole world. And like, what is, like, what did I miss? You got to catch up. <laughs> I the know. The movie's I coming. I know. But, like, like what happened? I, I can't tell you. You just have to watch it. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> there's a block that I missed where, where, where stuff got real. <laughs> yeah. So in Amphibia, do you have a favorite thing you've seen so far? So far, I think my favorite thing was just what was it? They were trying to make get ingredients to make pizza. I don't know if you saw this one. I don't think that I have seen that. So they're trying, they're trying to win this contest um, and the, this cooking contest. And they're always getting the planter family cookbook and they're trying to cook things. You know, the, they want, they don't necessarily want to win, but they definitely don't want to lose because the losers have to go into the cage of shame. Which is <laughs> just a really silly plot. And they go for one of the most dangerous um, things to get, which is tomatoes. Like it's dangerous to get tomatoes for really hilarious reasons. Um, but it's just they get to the point, and the mayor's tasting everything. It's like, oh my gosh! He takes a bite. It's like this is the best that the planter family has ever done. They're like, oh my god, did we win? They're like. No, it's still terrible, but this is the best that you have ever done. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's just like you didn't win. You didn't come close, but you did better. Like, like having Anne around has made things better. It's not going to solve everything, but it's like it's the best you've ever done, even though it's not going to win any awards. Mm-hmm. And then they all end up together in the cage of shame. 
Oh, they're still in the cage? <laughs> they, they are still in the cage. The it's best just, they've ever done is still cage-worthy? Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is so funny, but um, oh, it's, it's like, well, this isn't so bad. And then they start getting stuff thrown at them. And it's just, it's like, oh, okay. But they're, but they're happy and they've made some kind of growth together. So it, it's just, I, I love, I love subversion of expectation. And it just, there were like four or five different subversions right in a row to get to that ending. And I really appreciated that. What about for you? Uh, at some point they're talking about Hapadaya's like lineage <clears throat> and they're like going back and forth and naming like all of like and my father, my father's father, and his father, and his father's father's father. But they're, like, naming the actual, like, frogs in this line. And they take, like, this 80s, 90s music dance theme. And I forget all of them, but one of them was, like, Hapadaya, Papadlock, Plantar, or something. <laughs> so it went from, like, Hop Pop to, like, Hop Hop to Pop and Lock. It was just, it was, it was cute. I respected it. <laughs> well, awesome. Should we talk about homework time? Yes. For next time, don't overthink it. Go see Angry Birds 2. It'll be in theaters. You should see it. Because that's what we'll talk about next time. And if you don't gonna... see it, we'll still talk about it. <laughs> so if you're one of those folks that's like, I don't know if I want to see it, you can wait and we'll let you know, you know, what 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 you think, what we think, what you think. We'll let you know what you think. <laughs> Very 1984. <laughs> but I'll, I'll also see uh, the first one because I haven't watched it yet. So oh. I'll it... catch up. I don't want to lose out on any important plot follow through. It does seem like a sequel. Yeah, it does. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the world that I experienced in the trailers for the first one seems different from the world I experienced <clears throat> in the second one. But they're related. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on the internet, on Twitter at WG Animated, on Facebook.com slash WG Animated, and WG Animated, yes, WG yeah. Animated, and you can find all of our show notes in our previous episodes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com. And now to sign off, we have a special guest. Come over here and <laughs> sign off with everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Jack. Good night, everybody. No, that's my toast. No, it's my toast.